All right. It is art party. We are here. <laughs> it is March 25th, the Thursday, episode 21. Uh, I'm Andrew Russith. I'm Jamie Stearns. And we're excited and... to have a special guest. <laughs> I probably should have let you talk there. Sorry. It's Corey Archangel. Thanks for being on, Corey. Hey, thanks for having me on. Long time uh, listener, first time guest. Yeah. It is really an honor uh, because normally we just have friends who are artists that we like and we, we convince them to come on uh, and, and you, we don't know you. And this is exciting because you have a show at Green Naftali that everyone should see uh, and it can kind of be seen online, which we'll get into. It is called Century 21. It runs until April 17th. And you have a piece in art forum today. Just read it, loved it. Maybe it came out yesterday. Congrats. Uh, if people are looking for more info. And there's going to be a pipe organ show uh, April 8th. Yeah, uh, April 8th. April 8th. Uh, through through uh, Issue Project Room, is that right? Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. So I, I, I hope we hear about all that. I love pipe music. I love that. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated. Um, so yeah, we're we're gonna try to, you know it's it's really this is a high pressure situation because we gotta we gotta make it more professional here uh, with a guest. But we're gonna try to cover the nifty thing. We want to hear about Corey's show. Uh, hear about just how what we've been seeing, what's going on with art, and uh, as people are getting vaccinated how that'll change the art viewing maybe. Maybe we'll get into Metro Pictures closing. It's a, uh, a lot going on. Yeah. But um, maybe to start out with, I, I, I would just delve into it with the NFT, the nifty. I don't know, are they, I don't even know what to call uh, them. Is it called nifty? I'm like so out of the loop. Is it called? I read the people call it, it called... I don't know, Corey, you, you're the tech artist. What, what is oh, it called? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> hard to embarrass you. <laughs> yeah, uh, NFT, right? Yeah, NFT. NFT. But I don't know how to pronounce it. I haven't heard. Yeah, I oh no, I did. I have heard on. I have heard on podcasts. NFT, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, I I could say it a, a disclaimer right off the bat. I'm not a. I am an artist that sometimes works with digital technology, but I'm maybe not a NFT you're not, expert. So you're, not, so you're not an NFTer. You're not an NFTer. No, not not yet. Not at the moment. <laughs> I I. I, I I mean, maybe I have, the background. So NFT stands for what is it? Non fungible token, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, so that's kind of the acronym. So just for people who may not know what an NFT which is, which means which non fungible means it's non fungible. Yeah, and yeah. It basically it's this kind of trend. We're just going to kind of break it down for people who might not know about it, right? So yeah. it's this kind of recent trend where basically you sell these digital kind of this code, right? You sell this code of digital for a piece of artwork and then it's been creating lots of buzz because what was it, Christie's or Sotheby's? Was it Christie's? Yeah, that so. had the auction and something sold for what, six, like the the bleepy, the blippy, called so yeah, like the people, the people, people. The people, the people, so we're like what, 67 million, right? So Amazing. it's kind of this kind of crazy, crazy, uh, like gold rush, like weird snake oil slash weird Elon Musk tech bubble kind of trend that's happening. So, um, yeah, I don't know. So I just wanted to 
lay the groundwork for people that are noobs like me in it anyways yeah sorry Corey continue here oh no that's fine that sounds I also don't mind a explainer because um it's actually like so many different it's hard to talk about I think because it's so many different things that have that collided and happened at the same time that that it's a bit like um trying to describe something in four dimensions and three dimensions or something like any way you look at it it looks it looks different and more confusing so that's like my own <laughs> so it is good to start with what it is you know it's like a digital certificate of authenticity basically i think are what those things are right and it's confusing because they, they sell them for things that kind of already exist right so you can buy an nft for some animated graphic file that has been floating around and suddenly you buy the yeah and i heard that even though you own the code the artist still owns the copyright so the artist still retains kind of the essential core like right of the work even though it is quote-unquote sold to a collector yeah and that's that's like nothing new i mean that that would have been the same with just a normal certificate of authenticity collectors don't usually oh, acquire the, yeah. acquire the copyright so there's nothing like in the actual like i i have to preface everything i say about this like with i think or like maybe <laughs> <laughs> that there's not there's nothing like particularly diff, different than the traditional way of selling let's say video artwork it's exactly the same thing except you get the certificate on a piece of paper instead of now the certificate is like floating around in some Just kind like of burning burning energy using up uh yeah in some kind of some power plant in some kind of uh i don't know if i say a blockchain or the a block yeah a <laughs> blockchain but um i i would say like one thing that did happen that is that kind of like really took me by surprise was that the and I think Jamie, you kind of hinted at it, is like the artwork itself is floating freely, right? And people just acquire the rights, a certain subset of rights to that artwork. Although the, the, it, the actual kind of like containment or, or visibility of the artwork isn't affected at all by the certificate for it. So people are buying and selling something that is like freely available which again, isn't like net artists have been doing this for like 20 years, you know, like selling an image or selling a JPEG or whatever. But I think like what happened is like all of a sudden it's, that's like a real mainstream idea. Like within like three weeks it all, it flipped. And that I was like totally surprised and, and taken like just, yeah, just a month ago, only like the most wild eyed net artists were, 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 participating in that kind of thing or at least in my again maybe or I think you know yeah. so it's 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 kind of interesting you know like oh the artwork is free but there is like somebody who owns like some certain rights attached to it uh, or it's free to see or it's free to float around the cloud um, does that make sense am I making sense yeah no it makes sense yeah. so do you know any do you have do you know artists like personally that have sold like an NFT or are participating in this market marketplace or no? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I've followed 
or people on my Twitter feed, yeah, like have been doing NFTs or for a while. And I, I didn't, I have to admit, I didn't quite understand what they were. Uh, and, and now definitely post all of this stuff. Yeah. Like artists that I know and follow pretty closely are starting to release works. I don't know, like what's the proper way to even release works with this kind of certificate. Maybe that would be a proper way of explaining it. Cause you can't really say NFT art be or because it's, I guess, I guess it's one of the confusing things. It's like people are saying make NFTs, but an NFT is not the artwork. It's a, it's a certificate that attaches to an artwork, although there's a culture attached to it already. So it just, like I said, there's too many things colliding to really make much sense of the whole picture. Yeah. I find it really kind of interesting because it's this thing where it's, I feel like the kind of the origin, the kind of conceptual origin is this idea of, okay, like this thing that's floating, this digital kind of whatever, this entity, right? This floating thing. And kind of the really, for me, like kind of conceptually, like art historically, whatever the lens of all of this contemporary, whatever, is this idea of, okay, like taking something that is so intangible, making it tangible just by kind of in this, like, um, I don't know, naming and this process of whatever this, creating the structural system in which things can have value. But the idea of now artists creating work for that purpose, then it kind of, I think, like flips the kind of, I don't know, the, for me, the interesting aspect of it, you know, it's like when you're then creating that, if artists are now going to start creating digital art with the purpose of it to be going into this marketplace of, you know, this kind of to create revenue or whatever, then kind of that, I don't know, the weird Duchampian flip of, you know, the object, non-object, I don't know, for me, gets a little bit dull, you know, it becomes just another um, system of commodification, but maybe that's just me, though, I don't know. <laughs> I also think that the whole thing with the GameStop, like the whole GameStop that happened with, you know, Reddit threads and all this stuff, I so feel like this is kind of burgeoning out of that kind of, that, um, that environment or that kind of uh, mentality, but I don't know, maybe it's, I just don't really get it, but I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? I think, yeah, I mean, what, what I'm intrigued about is just what you're both talking about, this notion that you can create value sort of out of nowhere, that it turns out there's a kind of derivative prod, uh, like product that can be minted around something and suddenly we just decide it has value in the same way that, yeah, like everyone decided GameStop, uh, GameStop stock would have value. Um, this, yeah, this sort of like unmooring between an object and ways in which it can be marketed is interesting and scary and seems kind of depressing and weird, but also it might be really interesting. I don't know if someone does it well. Corey, I'd be curious, like among people you're friends with within or just are aware of in the net art community. I mean, from the outside, all of the stories are like, everyone's getting rich. Uh, everyone just puts these things up. They drop the NFT and people give them like all of these Bitcoins. Um, but like, it, what is the actual market like? Do you have a sense? Like, are, are people like, I'm releasing this this artwork and no one buys it? Or like, what is the, the, the vibe? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't have even the beginning faintest idea of what the overall marketplace for this is and what the hit or miss ratio is, you know, 
Um, I don't know of anyone. I think only the people who run these. Actually, I know so little about it. I wouldn't even know how to tell, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? But what I would say, I would just go back to what you said. I think there is a, I think you were both hinting at there. This is like creating value out of nothing, but like, but there are value in these, like, and I, I can't talk about that what's happened in the last couple of weeks, like, because I'm, I was finishing my show and I have a five-year-old. So I, I'm not up on like the current state of things, but like I could talk about the 20 years preceding when net yeah. artists were trading JPEGs amongst themselves. Hey, let's trade an artwork. And then it turns out, oh, what, you know, you trade a HTML site for a JPEG or like, this is the kind of stuff that I've been participating in for Ooh. 20 years, you know, and, and also there were galleries like and or, or like, or Harm Van Dorpel's gallery in Berlin, or, or the thing Wolfgang was doing, like things like this in the 90s. So, so I guess I would just flip it back on you a little bit. Like there has been people being like, oh no, these, this, this has value and it's on the web already, you know? And so just to, just to flip the table a little bit, it isn't, it isn't necessarily the case that there's value created out of nothing. It's just somehow this new structure has convinced people that has has facilitated a way for people to actually kind of be like oh no that does have value and here's actually money now like so there's okay. there there was some leap made in the yeah. last month which again i i said it earlier like i i'm still like in disbelief i thought it would never be a mainstream so so uh, so it can go both ways, I suppose, you know, and for me, like being like a lifelong net artist, I think it is kind of, I'm like, wow, it couldn't have happened any sooner. Amazing. Like, great. <laughs> like, sure. thank God. Yeah. You I know? mean, when, when I was saying doesn't have value, not in terms of like, it doesn't have value, like in terms of this, you know, it's right to be in the world and its significance mm -hmm. in terms of like a like larger, like visual, cultural, like, you know, um, mm -hmm. I don't know, like importance or significance or like necessity within the kind of larger context of like, you know, art making and mm -hmm. making, but the kind of the, the, stru the structural, like the, you know, like right now it's like, we're in, you know, the art world is still heavily within kind of this structural thing of like a gallery system and object, you know, object, right. object, you know, object creation, object specific kind of thing. And yeah, like, as you say, video art has kind of been maybe the, the most, kind of most translatable like a uh, thing of kind of you know something that is um a video file that, that they've converted mm -hmm. into, but it's still kind of like this weird like but then that's put into film and that's you know a lot of times if you get a video edition then that's converted into like different type types of digitization that can be like quote, quote unquote preserved as best as possible within the current technology that we have versus certain like something like a digital like code file and it is it, you know it's like it's kind of like ephemeral, it's ethereal, you know what I'm saying? It's a code. Yeah, so maybe we were actually saying that. the same thing, like two different yeah. two different ways, actually. But yeah, the funny thing that people forget is like, remember people would buy DVDs, like you would make, if you were a video artist, you would sell an edition of DVDs, but a DVD is funny enough, it's just files on a disc. Like it's actually the same thing as a USB stick or a, or a file in the cloud, really, you know? So uh, um, I feel like people, somehow people didn't ever realize that they were just buying files, you know. Um, 
maybe I have one other uh, thought about this stuff that maybe maybe would be interesting. Um, my other thought, which besides like this net art thing was like, and I have to just like back up a little bit here, if that's okay. Um, like, is that there's, I think people don't, it, yeah, and maybe this goes a little bit to what Jamie was saying about uh, GameStop and this kind of, these kind of wild things that are happening. Like, I think people don't realize how much power there is in these systems that we use in our everyday lives. And I, and I like specifically something like an Instagram or a Twitter or Google. Uh, and when I say power, I mean it both poetically, but I mean it also physically, like how much actual like energy it takes to run these systems. Mm. And I can give you like, I can give you like a thought, like, let's say you're somebody that has like 90 million Instagram followers, or I don't know, like, I don't know what the numbers are for someone at the top, but it's probably something like that. Yeah. And let's say you tweet an image and that image shows up on, it's probably not all of your followers' phones. Let's say it shows up on one third. So it shows up on 30 million phones in the next hour. Think of how much actual physical power that that commands and i mean like joules or whatever the hell power is measured in <laughs> and 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 you know so maybe that's like a a celebrity or something like so people have access to just unbelievable amounts of power now and this power is like floating around the world in like like a pendulum just swinging into things and just like like smashing things and and so like so as explained earlier, like I don't, I can't really understand the NFT thing like in specific because it's so complicated. But for me, the way that I'm understanding it is like there's so much power and so much money, and money is involved with power, just floating around in the kind of ether or the or the fog of the world right now, that it it will sometimes break through and it and we will see it like it'll flash for a second and we will see it as it like destroys something or it makes something amazing happen. And I think like these things that we're seeing are a function of the, these data centers and, and ultimately like, and of course, cause I live in an oil town now, it's like petroleum. I mean, this is like, all goes back to basically like oil and gas. Like yeah. where do we think all this energy is coming from? And I feel like, so I, I view the whole thing as this kind of like interesting, like oil age, mm. like we've, we have all this energy at our fingertips now and, and it's floating in these like invisible systems and every once in a while it appears and it just like makes something absolutely wild happen. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting. That's an interesting way of kind of putting it in within the <laughs> yeah. system, I mean, you know? I've lived in an oil town. I mean, I'm in yeah. an oil town, so I see everything through oil all of a sudden and it does somehow like everything, I'm like, all of a sudden everything makes sense through petroleum or something. Yeah. That's amazing. And but I feel like, sorry, go on, Andrew, sorry, go on. No, I, I don't want to sidetrack it, but I want to hear about the oil town history. I mean, I know that Norway for sure has these petroleum reserves, but what is the history with oil where you are? Well, so I'm in Stavanger, Norway right now, like, and I could just briefly give my, you know, I live somehow in between Norway and New York, my studio's in New York. I live, uh, you know, me and my wife has a job here in Norway and, 
you know, we're mainly here, but usually in a normal year, we would, we would travel to New York for a, a couple months. So, but I'm in Norway and, and I'm in Stavanger, which is the oil capital of Norway. It's on the Southwest coast. Wow. And, you know, oil was discovered. Well, I could talk the brief history of the town. It was a, it was a canning town. It was sardine canning town huh. in the 1800s and up until basically the invention of the refrigerator. And it, decimated that industry. I'm in a former canning factory now. And then like 10 years later, they discovered oil in the North Sea. And so Stavanger went from a kind of like industrial, like almost old world town to an oil town overnight, you know? And so like, to give you an idea, like I was speaking to someone recently and they're like, yeah, I came in 76 and there was only one restaurant in Stavanger in 76. You know, so we're talking like really, um, really like Southwest, you know, in Norway, although it wasn't poor, it's really remote. So Stavanger, like these towns before the plain age, I mean, these towns are extremely remote Mm -hmm. because basically in between every town in Norway is like water and mountains. Okay. So they discover oil and then, you know, the Americans come and the whole the whole town of Stavanger, but also the whole of Norway gets just like yanked into the 21st century within 10 years. And so it's interesting living here because it's like some, some parts of it are old world and some parts of it are new world. And they, mm-hmm. and they, it doesn't, it's interesting that they coexist and it doesn't necessarily make coherent sense, you know? And, um, but the other thing I could explain in, in daily life, something I, I noticed immediately in terms of because I didn't know like what an oil town was. Like people say that like Edmonton's an oil town, but it never made any sense to me until now. And what it means is like the whole town, it's a mono industry. So if I say to somebody, do you work in the industry? They would mm. immediately know exactly what I'm talking about. Wow. Still, yeah. Like LA, you know, like if you say that in LA, <laughs> that's so, and basically like everything is affected. The real estate, all like, there's thousands and thousands of companies that have something to do with the chain of oil that goes all the way to the top, which is like, you know, like pumping whatever out of the ocean, but all the way to the bottom, meaning like the paint, you know, a painting company who people who paint walls in apartments, well, you know, the oil companies need apartments for workers. And it means that the painting company, and there's a graphic design company, and then there's a company that makes brochures. And there's just like a huge pyramid of, of, that goes down that the whole city is kind of supported by this one industry, you know, and oil is so much money. You have no concept (laughs) of how much money is in this industry. Art looks like. It's a joke. Yeah. I I could just, am I talking too much? I I feel like I'm, I probably haven't talked to many people this year. Like I haven't seen so many people. (laughs) I have a question though, because I I, I visited Norway just very, Mm -hmm. very briefly. Years ago um, for this thing, and I met a bunch of like artists, young artists, and you know it's inc- incredible. There all these artists, and they were getting basically being um, you know getting grants and like having studio spaces for free and getting a stipend and being able to go to school and being able to have a family. Like you know a lot of artists that they had young children and they were still doing that. It's almost like this, and I was thinking of this larger thing of the kind of the, the oil industry and kind of the wealth that, you know, as you say, was so recently kind of infused into this very 
very small, you know, you know, country in a certain way. And that's also created that, that oil, yeah, like creates this industries and these jobs and stuff, but it also creates, is kind of like the, the, the whole bedrock of kind of the system, you know, we think of Norway as being this very like, not egalitarian, you know what I'm saying? But really like, you know, like, I don't know, politically, like it's like not socialist, but sorta, of, you know what I'm saying? This kind of socialized system and the oil industry, I feel like, or the, kind of the wealth that is generated from that has created this possibility for kind of a more, what we consider more humane um, social structure, right? So I do think it's like, so it's not even just like, okay, like jobs in terms of like this like direct line, but it's almost like this larger kind of whole, whole like, I don't know, cloud sphere of being able to have social programs and to have artists be able to, you know, work and live and be paid in a certain sort of sense. So it's like, it's, 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 you know, it's kind of like a really interesting um, social experiment, which I feel like, you know, like, obviously American culture and society is based on kind of this capitalist structure, but, you know, it's like they've taken their kind of revenue and, you know, not necessarily brought it back to this larger kind of social cohesion whole or something, but I don't know, just throwing that out there. Yeah. yeah when I first, oh, go ahead, Andrew. Well, no, I, w I was just going to say, I mean, right. Stavanger has, there's like a big museum infrastructure, right? There's, there are all sorts of cultural institutions. And is that a result mm -hmm. of oil? wealth as well or government wanting to please oil workers or what is that about uh very okay two good questions first i would say to the first point is when i first moved to norway i was like from new york and i i thought oh new york is centered on money capital accumulation everything <laughs> is focused on that all right. the infrastructure all the needs and desires and norway is focused kind of on children like to mm -hmm. like to have people be able to raise a family in a kind of comfortable and humane setting with dignity. And that was like shocking to me. <laughs> like I didn't even understand it at first. Um, and then the second, Norway has, yeah, I mean, Stavanger has uh, a Kunsthall, an art center, um, a museum. Uh, I'm trying to think like an artist run space also has a couple different museums. They're, they're partially funded by the state, but maybe even I would say less than you would think actually. The, mm. the Norway is better at funding artists than they are at funding their institutions. Uh, and that I haven't been able to figure out to crack that code yet to understand why that is. But, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, Norway is quite good. And that's also has to do with, I think, Scandinavian, like it's similar-ish in, in other Scandinavian countries, how they take care of the people. Yeah. Um, but it's just diff like the culture here is so different of how they, they relate to each other. And I understand why it's, it's kind of taught to them at when they're young, like that you're a part of a community and you need to take care of the other people in the community. Um, so it's, it's like a, so it's, like a, it's such a novel idea. Yeah, for me, hearing about it. Yeah, yeah. For me, I definitely it's definitely different than the states. It's fun to see both. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and I'm still trying to figure out here. But also, like, it has a lot to do with the unions. Like, uh, Norwegian workers are protected and have such good rights. A lot it has a lot to do with the unions, mm -hmm. and their unions. Uh, you know, so people had to fight for these things. It didn't just like mysteriously appear. 
and their unions are still quite strong. So I guess like a larger question. So like, do you think that, do you see yourself like, not that not to have to pick, you know, but like in a certain sense, like, do, like, you know, do you feel like, you know, as someone who is like based in New York and New Yorker, like how, you know what I'm saying? Like, where's the line of like, are you, are you kind of like, well, actually over here, or I miss certain things about the kind of New York kind of system things or, or you know, kind of stuff, I don't know. Yeah, it's a really great question. I mean, I definitely miss New York. Like my, my formative years as an artist were formed in New York. And so it's not that I don't like the Norwegian system. It's that I, I'm having trouble learning a new system because I, my, all of my references are, are scrambled now, you know what I mean? But, um, uh, and I think I've been like, I think in a couple of years, it took me a while to figure out New York too, right? Like I think in New York, I really got rolling after like 12 years or something. <laughs> like, yeah. so, and, and, and I do, rem it does remind myself of the early days when I was in New York, like still being here where I'm, I was just scooping up information as anywhere I could. And, and in New York, it was like, yeah, like the streets and the neighborhoods and the galleries and who the artists were. And here it's different. It's more like, yeah, like, like, Oh, what's what's Conoco Phillips up to? I mean, I like it's just totally the the information I'm scooping up is totally different. Yeah. Oh, speaking of New York, maybe this is a good segue to talk about Corey's show. Yeah. Currently in New York. <laughs> oh, it's perfect. And also, I mean, what you're what Corey, what you were talking about just with the idea of you post something on Instagram and it goes out in the world. I mean, your show to some degree is about that. I mean, I'm thinking about the the feeds where you have these bots going through corporate accounts and liking every single tweet or you've made an ai system uh to play the kardashian game um i guess just to like throw out the general question like how did the show start what was what was the impetus for uh the group of work that came together um well, like with all my shows, uh, it starts with a deadline. <laughs> so, you know, I knew I was going to do this show at Green of Tolly in the like a year earlier. So maybe even a little bit over a year earlier. And so that's a new gallery. And so there was, there was thought like, oh, it's a new context. It's a gallery I always wanted to do a show at. It's a gallery that is the first gallery I usually go to when I'm in Chelsea. So for me, there was a lot of energy already in a kind of new context and a new challenge and, and the history of that gallery and the artists that I've seen there. And so I wanted to, I wanted to be like, okay, like, I wonder if I could do it. Like, can I yeah. play in that field? That, like, can I play with, like I've seen Rachel Harrison shows there. I've seen yeah, like, that corporation shows there. These are not like minor things. All. Yeah, you're going. <laughs> yeah, to exactly. Yeah. Like this is not this is not the minor league. Yeah, you're, this is yeah. Like double A team. You're like going to the big leagues here. Yeah, especially for like the kind of art I'm interested in, and the kind of like for me, yeah, exactly. It's like Tony Conrad shows. I mean, so I was like, wow, okay. So that was like the energy that going into it. And then like technically all my shows start with a mood board on arena. I have a private arena, like a okay, arena. Cool. I don't know if you know the social network. Yeah, for sure, yeah. 
so I, I start, then I, then I start throwing images on my private mood board. I already knew that the center, what the centerpiece of the show was going to be, which is um, a piece called Rodeo, Let's Play Hollywood. Um, and the show just built off of between the centerpiece and the mood board and things on the mood board were like, um, like, yeah, stuff that you had mentioned kind of Andrew, like, like end of civilization style feed, uh, <laughs> feed stuff. Um, I was looking at also Steven Perino, you know, an artist oh, yeah, who I, who I met when I started showing art. So like there was all these kind of like these, a lot of different things that were kind of, and that's something that I think of now cause I'm not in New York anymore. And I, I'm thinking back on all those early memories of, of, uh, and then, uh, and then the tone of the show comes and the tone of the show is a kind of like, um, well, Century 21, the title was, it's a kind of, um, melancholy toward like or end times or like I I wanted to somehow I wanted to kind of capture the moment and and have a show that was kind of bright but also a little bit exhausting or something yeah yeah, yeah. which which rodeo I mean being oh wait so, sorry watch Amy Thing very much reflecting our times, the kind of the feeling of the times I think that we live in. It's super saturated. Pre pandemic. Yeah, yeah, pre pandemic. It's, 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 everything's so saturated and it's all this, you know, this kind of this so much, you know, but then there's this kind of deafening, like, I don't know, existential emptiness, you know, in it all, you know, with, with all that kind of noise and all the, all the, all the, all the everything, I guess, you know. And Rodeo, I mean, the Kardashian game, right? That like, it is essentially designed to just like suck you in, right? As it's like, you're just supposed to kind of sit there and explore Hollywood. And I mean, it, I would love to hear more about that. I mean, cause my impression is um, it was a real labor of love, right? You spent like three or four years making this AI thing that could play the game. And yeah, I guess two part question, which is like one, how, how do you, develop something like that. And then two, I mean, I'm just fascinated by this thing chugging away. And you said it oftentimes like goes off the rails in your art forum interview. Like it'll just pull up YouTube and like, just like go cruising through YouTube for a while or like it has to get updated. So like, yeah, I, I want to, I just want to hear about how this beast of a uh, time suck became an artwork essentially. Yeah. So the first question is how do I, how did I, how do I start with something like that? Yeah, how do you build that? How do you yeah, create yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think I have to start with my studio. And so my, my, my work often mirrors the people at my studio, you know? Yeah. So, and I have a, there's a production person at my studio, Henry Van Dusen, and he's a Columbia computer science. That's where he comes from. And so it's the first time I ever had a production person at my studio that was actually a computer scientist. And so as I kind of as he came on and I kind of fulfilled deadlines that were committed to before his tenure, I st we started talking and, and all the work shifted over to all these bots and stuff that, stuff that now I had the ability to do. But also it's like, I'm not, like my work doesn't drive, my work doesn't drive my life. My life drives the work. So if there's someone at my studio who's a great computer programmer, it's like, okay, let's just make some computer programs. Yeah. You know, it's really that easy. And, and um, 
so that I think is really the foundation of the piece. It wouldn't have probably wouldn't have happened if Henry wasn't there. And um, so I have the idea, you know, the original idea was like to have I like the IBM deep blue or like have a, have a famous supercomputer and wire it up to play the Kim Kardashian game. That was the kind of idea that came to me. Um, and then, you know, I talked to Henry and we decided, yeah, okay, this is going to be something that this could be a lot of fun. And then Henry talked to his friend, Kevin Rorark. I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the last name right. Um, who was his friend uh, who's a machine learning expert. And then me, Henry and Kevin talked a bunch and, and tried to feel if it was feasible. And then we finally, then the idea changed a bit. It turned out we had to make our own supercomputer and all this kind of stuff. And then, and then, yeah, like we just, then we just decided, yeah, let's go, let's hit go. And, and we worked on it on and off for years, like in between other deadlines um, and it's like started off as this tiny little thing in the corner of the studio and it, and um, yeah, basically like we got a kind of working version, like a really crude working version, uh, like three years in or something, two or three years in. And then, um, and then, yeah, I had this show and it's my first show in New York and forever. And I wanted to, and then we thought, okay, this is it. It's do or die, you know, now so or never. Is it like winning the game? Is it is it generating all of this? Uh, what goes on? Do you monitor it, the, the activity? We do. We can log in. And so we do monitor to make sure it's still working. So it is a it is a live performance in the gallery, meaning the Rodeo computer is playing the Kim Kardashian Hollywood game, which means that it's very temperamental and very unstable, you know? And, and so Henry will log in, I think, twice a day just to make sure the whole thing hasn't crashed. And usually if it crashes, we get a call from the gallery. And then I update the Rodeo Twitter account because Rodeo, the computer, has a Twitter account. And if it, crashes, yeah, if it crashes, I will broadcast <laughs> the voice of Rodeo that it's down and that people need to chill out for a second. And then we'll try to fix it. Yeah, it's very, the whole, the thing is very touchy. It's like a huge Rube Goldberg machine. Um, and what does it do? It, it basically stumbles around the game. I mean, it does learn, but the game is so vague and open-ended that it learns just like absolutely mind-bogglingly slowly. So <laughs> when you're in the gallery, you're not watching something amazing. You're not watching it speed through the game. You're watching it basically like train itself and kind of like stumble around. And that was built in to the concept from the beginning. And that's like my, that's like what I do. That's like my thing, you know, <laughs> that's like my whole project. Um, but yeah, but lots, lots of effort, minimal results. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If I do a project that has a, exactly like that takes four years, then it has to be completely like insulting the, the result. <laughs> <laughs> or often it's the opposite that something yeah and I yeah do something amazing to do something stupid or something like that but um yeah we finished it the day before the opening on Thursday we got the sounds from Daniel Patton, uh one of tricks point never who did the audio and um and it crashed on the the, the actual day of the opening but since then it's been running like kind of okay and we all have been a bit surprised wow. knock on wood have you heard from uh, the Kardashian people? Has, has there been any 
any news from them now no news yeah (laughs) well uh, you know with that said it is a let's play and let's play is like a huge genre of there is a whole world of people playing video games online so it's not like it's like a completely out of uh it's a kind of common thing except this is a computer (laughs) (laughs) um do you do twitch or anything like any of those online video game things just on your own I don't, I don't, you know, like, I don't, I, yeah, people often sometimes ask me if I play games, but you know, I'm like an artist. <laughs> like, yeah. I do the same thing other artists do in the studio, like drink coffee and, but I, I with that said, with that said, <laughs> I, I do want a Twitch setup. I like, yeah, <laughs> yeah I was talking to when, Jamie. When, yeah, when we were pre-meeting, Corey, you guys can't see if it's, just audio but he's got this amazing little like what you know like head like yeah we were talking about you know him he wants to have a whole setup which i think would be i amazing. love it yeah like I'm that sure. that appeals to me like the the condenser microphone and the like somehow i'm att- very much attracted to that like the idea and and twitch like i think what'll happen is rodeo will come back to the studio and then we'll start twitching with rodeo like, I think Rodeo could have a Twitch channel. Nice. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm also just fascinated by the way in which Twitch has become this kind of meeting point for all sorts of things with like AOC going on there and talking politics and fundraisers. And it kind of seems like, yeah, this strange convening point. Which, yeah, it's, co- yeah, it's yeah. cool. Yeah. I'll um, never get into it. I just, I'm done too. <laughs> I know. I look day. fascinated by people and and things like that, but I am just I just I just cannot be. I just don't care. Like it's too much time, you know. I just can't. There's a certain bandwidth, you know. It's kind of like even like 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 I've never gone into like real Reddit threads. Like I've seen Reddit, obviously, but like you know, that kind, of, yeah. kind of mentality of just like totally headlong diving within anything like a game or a platform or a message board it's just I cannot be bothered I don't know there's something and maybe that's my that kind of my 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 brain system and I do think that not to be like whatever I mean obviously um these kind of platforms definitely have a female presence and women you know like presence in it but it's very predominantly male you know it's almost like this strange um i don't know it's like a, i do feel like that's kind of quite interesting but it's not to say it's, it's it's valid or not valid or whatever or wrong or whatever but i do think that there's it's it taps into this um kind of i don't know that type of population in a certain way and this type of person or this type of mentality in a certain way that for me just is so like distant i don't know yeah for myself personally but I don't is know. there anything that you dive into no, maybe I'm just like, you know, I'm like, just, I'm a very, like, I'm like a, I like hovering. I like to kind of, I like, I'm like one of those people I like to kind of see, see from above and then I'll kind of dip down, explore, pop back up. And I, but I like to see kind of like the larger kind of environment of things and the whole kind of collection of things versus like being tunneling deep into something. 
but that's just very much I think like a, my, maybe my personality but um you read a ton though right I feel like I you're, do, you're obsessive I, about like reading yeah so but I'll read like I'll read some esoteric philosophy one one week and then right now I'm reading like you know a three page a three book like fantasy you know like 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 hard fantasy so it's right. like it's not like you know, it's also not a thing. We're kind of yeah, it's, there's no like, there's no specific kind of thing. But I do think that it's really interesting, kind of this larger, this kind of community building and this kind of um, I don't know structural thing like that. And I do think that the way that Corey is using, you know, kind of that kind of because it is about like it's like about art, but it's about kind of the way that humans are functioning and like you know like yeah. the world. scrolling the feed, sucking ourselves into these video games. Uh, I wish I yeah, was. Yeah, I'm kind of using this kind of the sense of like the avatar or the sense of the system or the sense of like kind of like the structure thing to kind of translate yourself within it, you know, and interact within it, right? Because it's basically about like, what is it to be human and to connect, quote unquote, and to have like some sort of operating sense of like being, right? Even if it is kind of in this digitized way or this kind of formulate, you know, formula of a sense. Um, I don't know. I find it really strange. I find I don't know. It's 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 crazy to think. I, I'm 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 like I feel like uh, we're all at a certain age where I'm just feeling not old, but like you know, it's like someone who's uh, born in like the 2000s. I'm like, wow, your reality is so much different. <laughs> it's so different than mine. You know, like if yeah. you're born in the 2000s, I'm just like their reality is so different than mine, which I find really interesting um, and fascinating. Yeah, I had read something recently that up until like, up until some time, I don't remember what, when the cutoff was like, real, like from one generation to the next, there was not much change. I don't know if this was the middle ages or up until the petroleum mm -hmm. age or whatever, but, and then at some point it changed, like one generation to the next, uh, it became unrecognizable. Yeah, I, I wish I remember what book, what book I was, one of these, maybe one of these books. Yeah, actually, I can't remember it all, but but it makes sense. And I wonder if now it's just even more like, or are we am I getting, are we getting old, or is things changing at a higher rate every every few years? I don't know. I feel like it's changing, but it's kind of also like collapsing, like a really crazy idea that was like, whoa, that I heard the other little bit was like, if you're born in the eighties, like the, the time difference between the sixties and the eighties is the same for when you're born in the two thousands to now. So, you know, and the, mm -hmm. the kind of, that kind of the, that band of, we think like, so from the, from the sixties, from the early sixties to the eighties, like so much politics, so much, all this stuff, so much changing of, you know, but then you think about that's the same, like equidistant 20 year kind of, you know, gapping. And yeah, it's changed. It's, it's definitely changed like, you know, from 20, the year 20, 2000 to 2020, but there is this also strange, different sense of collapsing and kind of, I don't know, this, 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 it's, I don't know, for me, it's like, I find it very funny in terms, like just thinking about fashion, you know, like mm -hmm. if the difference between fashion in the sixties to the eighties, you're like, whoa, that was like, how did that, you know, such a jump. And I do feel like in a weird way, like what happened in the 2000s to now, it's just really like um, regurgitated. It's like when I see like Gen Zers now basically wearing my old thrift, like they're thrifting my old clothes. <laughs> I'm just like, what the hell's happening? But it's, I, it's, I find it, it's, it's all very interesting and strange, but it's kind of this weird mind fuck of like, whoa, like that. 
that separation of time and then kind of the flattening of that in both instances, but yeah. Totally, totally. Um, before we fully get away from, from Corey's show though, I want to just ask about the pipe organs. So people oh, can- Oh yeah, right. Pipe organs, <laughs> pipe organs. At 8 p.m. New York time. And you've commissioned people, I guess, to, to write yeah. compositions for the pipe organ, but what's going on? Yeah, so it's uh, a night of new commissions for the pipe organ, uh, co-presented with Issue Project Room, co-curated with Hampus Lindwall, an organist and friend of mine. It's the yeah. third kind of evening like this that we've done. We've commissioned four different people to uh, write new works for the pipe organ. Um, wow. Seth Price, nice. uh, Akira Silias, Stina Janvin, and um, hold on, I need to... Uh, I need to pronounce his name correct. Uh, I will say it as a shorthand, Rock from the band Evol. That's probably the better way to do it. Um, and they're all, yeah, doing new pieces for the pipe organ. The pipe, um, the pipe organs, there should be three pipe organs in the show, one here in Stavanger. Uh, um, <laughs> Hold on. Uh, Are you playing um, it? Are you playing no, no, no. Oh, yes. Well, I, I'm also writing a new uh, piece and Hampus is too. Me and Hampus are also sneaking in new pieces, but um, there's a pipe organ here in Stavanger played by Niels Hendrik Ashaim, a pipe organist uh, in San Francisco, Joyliani Garbutt and Hampus in, Joyliani is in San Francisco, Niels Hendrik's in Stavanger and Hampus is in Brussels. So it's like a multi-site uh, transmission that's gonna happen. And, and um, yeah, I guess the question that I could probably anticipate is why pipe organ? <laughs> That was going to be the next obvious question. Yeah. Why now? <laughs> um, well, in my life, it's because all of a sudden, like I started meeting all these pipe organists. Now, Hampus <laughs> was the first one that I met to. Hampus is also a contemporary art collector. And I met Hampus in Stavanger at, at, a, at a Ingve Olin opening. And we started talking and he was like, oh, you should write for pipe organ. And of course, it's not something I ever considered in my life. <laughs> But I am a trained composer, and so, and then, and then I started, you know, thinking about it like, oh well, a pipe organ is like just basically a synthesizer, and it also like, it turns out they're really available. There's pipe organs, pipe organs everywhere, <laughs> and then it also turns out that here in Stavanger, one of the uh, other best experimental organists in the world is Niels Hendrik. Ashheim, and he's also here in Stavanger. So like all of a sudden I'm just surrounded by these organists and organists are kind of like your average like experimental organist is a really wild and fun person, you know? <laughs> yeah, you bet. So, so, um, so Hampus and I started just, yeah, like organizing these events to get people to write new material for these instruments. And, and I guess it's also related, like there's something I like the pipe organ theoretically, like it's like super obsolete instrument. It's limited. It has like spatial limitations, but it's also like really complicated and really like mm -hmm. there's a trillion possibilities to do stuff on organ. And also like organs are still, the organs are still being, like organists are still adding functionality to pipe organs. So for example, mm -hmm. the organ here in Stavanger, you could hook a computer up to it and it could play. Uh -huh. So, um, uh, yeah, so all that stuff together, 
And I could tell you like a, 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 a preview that the whole thing is gonna be, take place on a cell phone. So Hamlet's and I are gonna do a very fun little thing to broadcast it. So anyway. Oh, that's great. Cool. Will they be kind of, will they be simultaneous or will it be? Yeah, you'll be able to go, you'll be able to go on the issue. It's eight o'clock on the eighth. That's when the, okay. that's when we will broadcast. That's so cool. Yeah. Mm. So um, yeah. And, and the pieces are all totally different and I'm probably surprising to each one is surprising in a different way um, towards what you would expect to come out of a pipe organ. I love pipe organ. I, um, I like, <laughs> like all about like church sounds. I love like mm -hmm. choral shit and like pipe organ stuff. And yeah, no, I think it's, it's, it's such a beautiful, it's, yes, it's kind of like this mixture of like super old, but then kind of this evolving technologies and it's, and then this idea of it kind of being about um, kind of the engineering of it, like the end and the kind of the, the, the engineering of the actual organ, you know, as an instrument, but then also it, the sound engineering, if, you know, like it kind of traditionally existing within these kind of spaces like churches and things like that, that are really high, like very much constructed to create audio kind of, you know, this kind of environment. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. I'm oh, just just the most satisfying music, love organs. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, Speaking of, Andrew plays a, not ancient as maybe ancient, but he he's he's does standing. What is a standing bass, yeah. right? You do the yes. So yes. The, the deep bass sounds of the yes. organ. I also sympathize with. Oh, Love how you're a stand-up bass player. Yeah. What instrument did, did you learn when you were composing, Corey? I was a guitar, a guitar. Guitar. Um, I was a classical guitar. That's how I went to conservatory for classical guitar. Yes. And then I switched to like kind of composition halfway through. Amazing. Oh. Or a type, it's, it was electronic music, basically. Nice. Amazing. Nice. Amazing. Well, we're, we're about, uh, oh, we're like 40 minutes in. Should we, should we go to Rex and Rants or should we do another topic? What, what should we do? What are you feeling like, Corey? How's your, how's your vibe? Yes. Um, this is egalitarian. This is not a dictatorship. This yeah. Uh, <laughs> family. He has to. Well. Support. Yeah, I I have prepared a rant and a rave. I've prepared a rave. I'm not a ranter, but I've prepared a rave for you. Cool. So perhaps we could do that. Yeah, we can. We can, we can lead into that. We can lead into yeah, that. Yeah, let's do it. Cor, you go. You can go first then, since you're the since you're the guest. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, I uh, I think the the prompt is that um, there's no good art that have been sold with an NFT certificate of authenticity, <laughs> and to that I have a rave. Like I've seen these amazing works uh, by an artist named Catherine Fraser. I don't know if have any of you seen these, know these, and she oh. has these works where it's just her eating fruit. <laughs> so it's a video of her eating fruit Ooh. and you could purchase them with a like an nft certificate and i that it first i i follow her you know and she has like a strange name on twitter and i had forgot that i had followed her and so the first time i'd seen one of these artworks it just across my feed came a video of her eating like an orange or, and it was like and you know like Rarely do I see things that affect, 
it's very hard to have a true art moment on a feed now. It's very hard. But I had like, I had a real moment where, I, and I didn't know that it was art. Like I had no, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Is it just like straight? Is it is it like uh, just just, just straight, straight straight on? Okay. Uh, and like you know, like eating a whole piece of fruit, and yes. and I really had it. I was what whoa, and I just it stuck in my head, and then I forgot about it. And then you know, like after this Beeple thing, then I then I another one came across my feed, and she was like, oh, it's for sale on this gateway, and blah blah blah. And I was like, oh my god, these are these are like. NFTs. And then <laughs> I thought, wow, that like what little I know about the NFTs and the culture, I thought what little I know, but even though I guess I could say, even though I know little, what little I know, it says, this is exactly, this is cool. Okay. You know, like, this is so weird, you know, <laughs> like, 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 and so I, I think that the whole, like the whole thing, I guess my rave is that yeah, I've already seen something that I I really think is, I think it's like a mass. The, there's a couple in the series, and I think it's like a masterpiece. You know, so if people want to see them, they should go to uh, like one of the platforms and look her up. Or how do we find it? Well, her Twitter is brb underscore irl, and I would go there. <laughs> and um, I think yeah, so that's my rave that I, I've seen something already quite amazing that I think makes a lot of sense in whatever this weird new world is in in a, like a real art way yeah, you know? yeah I love that I love it when like you know you see something and it just like hits like it hits you're like this is whatever this is this is it like you know yeah. it kind of has this kind of it has its uh, it's it's yeah it makes it yeah really exciting you know, I th and I think what happened to me is I saw it first without knowing what it was yeah. and it yeah. it like I was like, huh. And then it hit like when I realized what it was and that there was an infrastructure behind it and they were for sale as token, like the whole thing. So yeah, I, I've been really inspired by that, this series. And, and it makes me think, you know, there's always great art and there's always great net art and the whole thing will never stop. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's exciting. I love that. That's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's kind of like seeing something that exists and then you're happy that it exists and then you want it to survive and keep existing. So it's like, yeah, if there's whatever the system that it's functioning in to allow that to happen and to, for someone like her to, or them to be keep making that type of thing, you're like, whatever, yes, go for it. Yeah, like yeah. Make, that, make that survive, that's nice, yeah. It's a good way of thinking about that. Thanks. Jamie, do you want me to go? Okay, so my, I'm going to bring it down a notch like I usually do. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. We're looking so, for it. It's kind of like a mix. It's kind of like a mix wreck and the rant. So, um, so I don't know if you guys have seen on HBO the Alan, um, Alan versus uh, Faro versus Alan docu like like miniseries. All right, so basically it's kind of you know the whole Woody Allen and Mia Farrow and kind of, and, and his, you know, the alleged, I put this in very ironic quotes, um, you know, his, his molestation um, of his daughter, um, Dylan, and then also kind of all the whole kind of system of the kind of family structure and um, Sunni and like can be married and this whole kind of thing. And it's like a four part series on HBO and, 
I've been like fuck Woody Allen for years and years and years and years and years. Like I haven't watched any of his films for so long. And I've definitely had many conversations with a lot of people about kind of that, like my reasoning for that. Um, But I do feel like this kind of this, yeah, this four part documentary, it's, it's quite interesting. It's very thorough. Yes, it's kind of one sided, like Alan's not interviewed for it, obviously, like there's excerpts from his new audiobook and stuff like that. But it's very, you know, it is definitely from kind of like a certain kind of um, perspective and, you know, kind of a narrative um, kind of focus. But it's pretty fucking condemned, you know, it's pretty like convincing. And I do think that I was like, you know, I was already, I already had my own kind of opinions about it, but this kind of, you know, obviously reinforced that in a certain sense, but through this kind of watching the idea of the role of like, kind of the idea of the artist, you know, this idea of the artwork, you know, and that kind of larger conversation for me, like thinking about, okay, like what, like, where is the line and it should there be a line and the complications of that, you know, of when somebody who makes, you know, he's made incredible films. Like he's, you know, and he's, he's so prolific. He's an, he's like, you know, the New York city auteur of filmmaking, you know? Um, and so, but like kind of the, the larger conversation in me thinking about like, okay, so where's that line and what is the kind of um, the complications of that? And I was, yeah, like the, fir- the, the the documentary reaffirmed kind of my my personal positioning in it, but it did kind of bring up these larger questions. And I don't know, maybe if you guys wanted to like what you think, not about the Woody Allen thing, but this idea of like, you know, when is there a line where it's like, you know, like the, the artwork and does it kind of have its own life and its own, you know, thing outside of um, the creator and the, you know, the biography or the, the issues, crimes, whatever is of the creator, you know, like, is that, I don't know, it's so, so tricky. What do you guys think? It's hard. It's huge. Uh, <laughs> I, I just feel like I, so much of it, I think, has to do with the passage of time. Oftentimes it's like, right. I mean, everyone always holds up the classic example of like Gauguin. It's like, obviously deeply disturbing stuff there. You get far enough away from it and you can, enjoy the paintings in some ways. Um, so yeah, I'll be curious. I mean, you were talking about the youth earlier born in like 2000. I'll be super curious if like, yeah, in 40 years they wanna watch Woody Allen movies and how that will transpire and how that's how just those objects live in the culture. I have no idea, I have absolutely no idea. What do you think, Clary? Hard question to ask and I was like... <laughs> well, it's- Somebody just recently told me that Debussy was really a nasty guy. Holy really shit. mean. Really? Yeah, that's what I said. I no idea. <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, um, well, I don't have any, like, thoughts specific to Woody Allen, but you have I, the way that I look at art is that there's two components. is the work and then everything that happens once the work leaves the studio, which is showbiz, and they are they are related and attached. So you can never really separate one from the other. One doesn't work without the other even. Like if they were to separate, there would be no work. Um, so that's as far as I can get on that thought. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky larger question, but then, yeah, I do, I do recommend watching it if people are kind of, 
interested in the kind of whole thing of that. And then also just, you know, kind of conjuring up these kind of questions of authorship and kind of the, I don't know, the life of the life of art, you know, and the concept of the relationship between make creator and, you know, and contents and kind of that larger thing of it. But yeah, so a little bit weird, but I do recommend I want to watch it. And <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's, it's three Alan or four hours long or something like that. What's that? It's like three or four hours long. Or it's, how long it's, is four, it? it's four episodes and each episode right. is about an hour. So it's about four hours long. Yeah. So it's on HBO, Alan B. Farrow. Yeah, power be on or something. Yeah, but whatever. Basically, so that's my weird rag and rat. Nice. Uh, I'm gonna do a rant. I hope you. I hope you. I hope you oh. lighten it up, Andrew. <laughs> is it a rant or a rave or a wreck? Have I gotten it? What is it? What is the actual? Wrecker, wrecker rants. Oh, wrecker <laughs> rants. So I did a wreck, not a rave. Sorry. <laughs> it is confusing because whenever I hear wreck, I think like train wreck or bad car wreck or something not good. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to hold up things, which people listening won't be able to see, but, uh, my rec is going to be, it's this series of books, which is put out, uh, by a publisher called just Asia publisher. And I think they get support from the Korean government. And for the past few years, they've just been translating tons and tons of short stories from, uh, Korean writers going back to like early 20th century up to until super contemporary. And they're all like 50 pages, 100 pages at most. Um, they're bilingual, so you can read them in Korean uh, if you speak Korean. But otherwise, if you are an English speaker like me and are curious about what is going on in Korean literature, they're great. Um, and they're all like, you can go on the website and they're kind of like divided. They've done like 120 books. And they're all divided into groups of like five or 10. So it'll be like five books about just like food in Korea or five books about the Gwangju uprising and um, super approachable. I've learned a lot. Uh, and the trends, and you just realize like, oh geez, like I, Jamie reads a ton. I don't read a lot. I'm like one of those bad art schools. Like, so I, I read a lot of like nonfiction, but I never read fiction. And okay. so, being here, I'm like, I should learn, like, I just want to like, you know, read literature, know what's going on. And these books are amazing. And then I, I would also add that they're super cheap, I think, because there is some sort of government support. And so they're like $6. And That's I think, amazing. yeah, and you'll recognize them because they have all this, um, it's a portrait of the author and then a red, uh, Love the packaging, yeah. Yeah, rectangle. On can you side. get that on like, can you only get it in Korea or can you get it online somewhere? I think I've seen them on Amazon. I should have checked uh, before coming on, but um, I get them at a bookstore that has English language stuff here. Can you like, can you like summarize like one story that you found was like really like, wow, or like- really Yeah, cool? I mean, oh man, it's hard. So I've only read three of them. I'll, I'll, I'll do two really quickly. The first one is uh, The Canning Factory by Pyong Hyai Young. And it is a story just about, there's a canning factory. Funny how we've, oh, we've come back to Norway here. Uh, and one day the manager of the factory goes missing and strange things start showing up in the cans and people try to understand what's going on. And it's basically about like the whole culture of like work and automation and how you create a culture of capitalism and prosperity. And how that affects people. Um, yeah, it's not a great summary, but good book. Uh, and then the other one that I just read is The Flag 
by Han Hidam, which I would totally recommend. And this one's about the Gwangju uprising in 1980. Uh, and it was published in 88, right when the uh, discussion of the uprising and massacre was no longer censored. And it was the first thing that kind of came out. And it talks about the students rising up and the kind of conflicts between, so like with the military dictatorship in South Korea, like the students and laborers kind of getting together in Gwangju, which is a city in the South to protest against the military government, which proceeded to kill them. And it's kind of about, she was there living at the time, uh, was a housewife and um, new people involved in it and kind of recorded their stories. And then, yeah, once it was possible to have these things published, publish them. And it's super like, whoa, you're there. It's crazy. Wow. So is it, so they're both um, fiction and nonfiction kind of pieces or? Yeah, they're both fiction, but like for sure, like grounded in the experience yeah. of like, and that seems to be the vibe with the series. It's very much like, uh, um, yeah, like not fantastical, like really uh, hear stories from like everyday life, 20th century in Korea. So yeah, look for the red cover in your public super good. Can I ask, I mean, I love, I love the, I love the, I love how Andrew is like so Korean. It's so amazing. I love it with this, with this um, content lately. Um, but I guess maybe like as like a maybe final judge, since, since, I don't know, we didn't tell everybody we're all in different places. I'm in, I'm in oh, New York, yeah, Brooklyn. Like Andrew right now is in Seoul, Korea. Corey is in Norway. And so kind of, and we're all, I, it's morning, afternoon, night. Like it's kind of this kind of crazy weird triangle of the globe right now. So maybe it'd be cool maybe just to do like one additional small little like, I don't know, thing for our respective zones, right? Like something yeah. that's happening in Norway or something that's happening. Or, or it can just be not even happening, like a thing you love about it or something. I don't know. It might be fun just maybe to do. Is that okay Good. to ask? Oh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> and I wish I I wish I had said that early on that yeah, it's exciting that we linked up uh, three three different continents, three different time zones. Um Corey, do you want to go first or do you want to go, do you want me to go first and my crazy give you time to think about it? I have a segue so I can okay. go first. Yeah, my great. favorite museum, current favorite museum in the world is the Norsk Hermetique Museum, which is the Nor the the scanning factory museum here in Stavanger. It is uh, like a basically it's like a can they had there was a there was once 250 canneries here, but one of them closed and then like 50 years later they just like opened up the doors and said it was a museum so it's like wow. exactly <laughs> as it was and on the last friday of every month they still uh smoke and can fish in the factory that's amazing so, so it's my current kind of like yeah like museum obsession uh it's it's actually being they're building an addition right now so it's closer now but anyone who visits me in stavanger i always take them there first so that's um, cool. Yeah, so that's uh, something my favorite. That's not only my favorite thing here, my current favorite museum in the world. Oh, that's that amazing. A good slice of life. That's, that's cool. So I'll go next because I, so we can create this little circle. So, um, I mean, I haven't been doing too much in New York because I'm waiting for my second vaccine shot and then I'm just going to go, yes. go crazy. But um, I'm going, mm -hmm. I, with everything that happened, obviously, in the US and stuff with all the, anti-Asian hate crimes and stuff like that. Crazy time anyways, but 
I really, this past weekend, I was gonna, I was like, maybe I should go see some art, but I was like, you know what? No, fuck that. I basically went to Chinatown and obviously in New York and just like walked around for a few hours and just kind of was like, just in the, in the environment of that. And yeah, it was super, super, super fun. But I want to shout out like one of my favorite stores. It's called Bakli Po Trading Inc. It's on Mott Street, I believe. And it's this amazing, like, you know, there's always like tons of, you know, tourist shops and bags and keychains and whatever, whatever kind of stores. But this is this uh, small store that has, it's like a martial arts store. And they sell like uh, martial arts clothing, shoes, swords, um, and a variety <laughs> of different things. But it's literally one of my favorite, favorite stores. And they've got these incredible t-shirts that are like $5, $10. And they've just have just, uh, just, I bought these like linen karate pants for like 10 bucks. And it's just, it's, 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 it's really great. And there are these two old guys that basically smoke inside sometimes. It just, it's like really great. And I highly recommend um, just going to Chinatown or whatever Asian community, you know, obviously in Korea, but if you're not in an Asian um, country, just going to these neighborhoods and kind of just going into the little ins and outs, you know, that you might not know about. And I love this store so much. I've gotten so many like gifts and like treats from there. And so highly recommend it. Yeah, that's my oh, thing. Man. Both these are so good. This is hard <laughs> to follow up. I was just going to say like, I mean, like one thing I really like about Korea is uh, the culture at a lot of kind of like old school or even just down home places is taking your shoes off to eat. Like I went to uh, have lunch in, which I'd never done before. Like I kind of vaguely knew it was a thing that one did at some places, but I was down in Guangzhou a few weeks ago and went out to eat at a restaurant. And a lot of the places in Seoul, it'll be like half the area. It's like smoking and non-smoking. It's like shoes and no shoes. And usually the no shoe section is actually more crowded. Like I haven't even if it was an opportunity, I wouldn't have had it because I've been there would have been a wait. Um, but yeah, the place I went to in Guangzhou was uh, no shoes only, and it was just lovely. I felt like so relaxed. It was like kind of a business lunch, but like to take your shoes off and then like sit down, it really I think like changes your whole. It really I felt like it affected my whole afternoon. I felt more relaxed. That's so and, nice. Yeah, enjoyed the food more and. And uh, yeah, I went to the restroom and they had little suppers to, to walk around the restroom. And, and I thought that was just lovely. And so, um, yeah, I'm sure there are places in New York that do that, but I never went to them. So I hope that maybe it becomes more widespread or something. I love that, I love that. So, yeah. I really like that this is the way that we're gonna end. It's like really positive and it's like full of good energy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's funny the things the thing that we started off with is so complicated and we we were all struggling to talk about it and we all have a sense that it was somehow like not great or something or like we were like scared of it but now it's these little things that are are the things that we're kind of grasping onto as as giving us energy. Yeah. Agreed. Really great. Uh, well Corey, thank you so thank much for you being so here. Much. Uh, in the middle of the day, it's super awesome. Um, everyone should go see his uh, Corey's show. It's open until April seventeenth. The at organ the performance. Green is, yes, thank you. Yes, at Green Naftali <laughs> in Chelsea, yes. uh, or issue Project Green website on the eighth to hear the uh, organ music. Yeah. And Thanks for having um, me. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'll play the outro. 
uh, and um, cut off the recording, but then hang on a second so we can. We can Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon. Episode 21. We'll be back in a bit. <laughs> Oh, my God.